Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Welcome Traveler's Blueprint community. I am Elliot Shibley and here with me as always is the profound Bob Domena. Elliot, your, your adjectives are so nice. Um, all right, well, so I have to maintain a, the facade of a working relationship. <laughs> all right, TTB community. So this is our very first uh, personalized news episode. Elliot and I had mentioned that we were going to start doing this the past two weeks. Um, so what you can now expect on the first Sunday of each month is an episode where Elliot and I bring you the most up-to-date travel news, uh, tips and tricks, logistical information to help aid in your travel planning and your travel um, accommodations, I guess. And we're just kind of going to break down a few of the, the news stories that we found interesting or relevant and and help, you know, have some open discussion on them. Um, and I guess after that, we're probably going to give some insight on the guests that we have lined up for the remainder of the month, the other three Sundays, so you'll have an idea of what you can expect and prepare for your listening enjoyment accordingly. Um, so, Elliot, what do we have uh, as the first travel story today? So this one comes to us from the New York Times by Henry Alford on the 17th of July. And I don't know if you guys know this, but... Before this, there were only 60 national parks, and we have just attained our 61st national park outside of Chicago in Indiana. And it's kind of cool. I mean, it's it's already been a park since 1966, but it's now officially a national park. And it gives Chicagoans uh, a very nice way to get their nature fix. And it's only an hour away from the city, and it's pretty cool. Before that, there was only... The last national park to be designated was actually Gateway in 2018, and before that, it was back in 2013. So it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I, I looked into it a little bit. It's really nice that these people can leave the hustle and bustle of the city, not really venture too far away, and actually go to this outdoor space, hike a little bit. I think there's a few, let's call them hills, um, and you get a, a <laughs> and is Indiana. Yeah, you get a beautiful view of the lake and then with um, the, the, the Chicago skyline in the background. So, yeah, well worth it uh, to to venture out there when you're in need of your nature fix. Yeah. And our next little bit is also from the New York Times, Zach Wichter on the 17th. And it's all about how travel is becoming more electrified. We've been talking about cars and Tesla and other electric car startups on the show before here and there but now it's looking like planes are becoming electrified boats are becoming electrified and there are even electric car routes right yeah this is actually one of my favorite stories that we have prepared for today so the the planes that they're actually going to start testing uh, are in hawaii and what they're going to do they have small commuter planes um and that they're going to start flying between Mok, sorry for the pronunciation here. Mokuli Airlines, I think, is how you might say it. Mokuli, Mokuli. So confident. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they're testing airplanes over Maui and uh, Kaluli, and Hana airports. So small flights, easy flights, and they're gonna. It's it's basically gonna be a testing ground for eventually pushing this to commuter airlines. And once we obtain that, we could assume 
that the the cost of airfare would have dropped significantly because we no longer are relying on fuel. So this is really promising for people who really like to enjoy travel, have big plans to see the entire world. In the future, we may be able to, to do that without having to increase our carbon footprint significantly and at a lower cost to us. It's a win-win. I don't see, I, I really love this idea and I'm really happy that it's finally being tested. And ultimately a little safer too. Yeah. yeah. Not flying around with a big vat of jet fuel. Right, right. And I forget the numbers. There was a point where I did read about this, but the amount of jet fuel that these planes, that commercial airlines release into the atmosphere on a daily basis is disturbing. Um, where do, you know, you have to think where this goes and it kind of, a lot of the carbon just lingers in the atmosphere. Uh, hence, hence the global climate change. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so yeah, before but, we get into the electric car route, I want to jump to the boats because I think the electric car route is pretty fascinating. Okay. Um, so a Norwegian based cruise company is actually investing in hybrid powered cruise ships. And I mean, boats require a lot of energy to move, but once they get moving, they can stay moving. It's not like a plane where, you know, you kind of have to keep pushing. You at least have something keeping you afloat. And this one's really interesting because water and electricity doesn't really mix all that well. So they're actually finding a way to make it safe and to burn less fuel because on average, a cruise ship burns about 250 tons of fuel per day, which is insane. I mean, the scale of how much fuel is burned for flying and cruises is astounding. That's just one cruise ship. Just one. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's that's also seems pretty promising, and it's a Norwegian-based company, correct? Yes. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't believe we actually have the name of the Norwegian company on here. No. It'll be in the show notes on the website, though. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, getting moving into the cars. Um, obviously, electric cars are becoming bigger and bigger. Tesla. Everybody knows it's a household name now. Um, and I know the United States itself is investing in Tesla charging stations throughout the country. Now, there is another country that has taken it um, almost as set up the model for electric uh, eco-friendly tourism, uh, and that, that's Switzerland. So now you, through uh, the Switzerland touring agency, um, where is the website? So myswitzerland.com, you can book Essentially, it's a 1,600-kilometer tour through the entire country. You'll end up seeing 12 UNESCO World Heritage Sites, 22 lakes, and some of the most historical villages throughout the country. You can see where watches started and uh, and, and get a really good feel for this entire country. I think um, it's an incredible idea. It's a, to, to scale that to the United States is going to take a lot more work, but... I'm really looking forward to hopefully doing this one day. Yeah. I know they, they have 300 charging stations and you actually, they'll help you rent the car. You can do it with a Tesla if you want, if you have the money. Um, really, really cool idea. It is. I, I When I was looking at the actual article, they actually, they have basically stations and signages. It's like a truly a trail, like a modern day Appalachian trail through Switzerland for electric cars. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I think I, when I showed this to my wife, when I showed this to Marlia, I she was in. We both looked at it and like it's we we both are into driving. We like the idea of doing road trips because it just gives us 
this extra level of freedom that being stuck with trans public transportation does not give you. Um, and we like to kind of move at our own leisure. And when we want to get up and go, we like to go. And if we want to stay somewhere longer, we like to have that option to do it. And now we can do it in a more environmentally friendly way. And Switzerland, I mean, it has to be one of the most beautiful countries in the world. At least I think so. I think, I think so, so as well. So. Yeah. So it's it's going to be high on our list. We have Italy planned for 20, 20, 2020. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then maybe maybe the next one will be Switzerland. So our next travel bite comes to us from Travel and Leisure on July 19th. Andrea Romano. And this one's a little bit sad. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Daffodil Hill in California, but the family is actually closing it due to over-tourism. And this Daffodil Hill is near Sacramento, and it is the family has lived there for a long time, and they their property is just covered with daffodils. And, you know, over time, people became well i should say the property became known for its daffodils and then tourism became popular and then it's become a very popular place to get instagram photos and people kind of just destroyed it and taken it for granted and made it their own and this is not the first time this happened bob i don't know if you want to talk about some of the other places that this has happened so this is one of the downfalls of social media it's the pressure for these people to want to take a perfect shot without any regard for the actual environment they're going to see. And you can see it, it it really seems to be very popular with flower, fields of flowers. I know um, there is a Dutch tulip field where they had, they had to close because of this issue, cherry blossoms, um, and there's lavender fields in southern France who actually, they're closing too because these people will drive up. Sometimes they'll drive into the field and they're doing, you know, they want to get the perfect shot and they don't really care about whether or not they're destroying the... The flowers. Um, but I think what you were referring to is what, what we put in our notes, uh, the actual in Thailand, right? Yeah. So I went to visit in 2016, I went to visit Thailand's Maya Bay. And now it's been closed for over tourism. And when I went there, it was um, it was nowhere near this like pristine paradise as depicted in the movie, or I'm sorry, yeah, depicted or shown in the movie The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. That's what boosted its tourism to begin with. And when I went there, it was just so crowded. The view out onto the water was just littered, polluted with boats. You couldn't see anything. Um, and the beach was just overran. It, it, it wasn't the special place that you were hoping that it was going to be. Now, there's like a, it's a double-edged sword because I was one of those people sitting on that island contributing to the thing that I'm now complaining about. Um, but... I would still, I'd like to see those places uh, a little more regulated. I mean, we could talk about the Everest. That's been in the news. Oh, there's, yeah. there's a huge issue uh, going around now because... It's just over-tourism. Yeah, people are becoming more able. And some of these places, they just don't have the, the regulations in effect to handle this tourism. And some don't want to regulate it because that means they're going to make less money if they start limiting the amount of people that can come to those locations. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's more of a, the whole over tourism thing is more systemic. You just need to find something that, a location that is beautiful. I mean, the earth is a gorgeous place. There are so many beautiful locations. And even if you're not able to necessarily travel to Maya Bay, there are other beaches that are just as gorgeous that 
aren't as well known and just, you know, treat it as if it were your own and treat it as if you didn't want it to be destroyed. Treat it as if right. it was going to stay forever. Leave nothing but footprints, right? Yep. Pack in, pack out everything you pack in, leave nothing but footprints and take yeah, only pictures. If you're, if you're truly there to appreciate it, um, let other people appreciate it as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So what do we have next? The next one that we have on our list is from CNN Travel, uh, Scotty Andrew and Artemis. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that guy's last name. It's very hard. <laughs> and this was posted on July 22nd. And they actually discovered a new species of, of shark. Um, it's about five and a half inches and it glows in the dark, which so cool. I always, it is. It is. So this reminds me of, oh man, I don't even remember the fish. I think it's called like a lantern fish where they have the, the yeah. rod that comes out over its head with a little bulb that attracts fish to the light. And then it yeah. made popular in Finding Nemo. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that movie. Um, what? That's I, a classic. I, I saw it a few times. It's just been a while. Um, well, you'll have to watch you, it with Gia. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I already have that all. The whole Disney, going to rewatch them all, The Lion King well, and everything. But is, that, is it Pixar? Is it Pixar? Yeah. 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 Which right. is now owned by Disney. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was discovered off the Gulf of Mexico. Well, all right. So no, it, it, this is the first one discovered off of the Gulf of Mexico, but the species was actually discovered elsewhere. Just pretty neat. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have anything else to really add to that. Just yeah. found it pretty cool that they discovered a new species. I think anytime in in today's world, that's as we just mentioned, completely overran, uh, that we find new and interesting species. I think it's a pretty cool, yeah, especially a cool shark. One. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think so. Not only does it glow in the dark, but it actually squirts out uh, bioluminescent liquid, and. There's a theory that scientists have that over 90% of deep sea and like sub light penetrating water are actually bioluminescent. Wow. So over 90% of the organisms in the water that are below how deep, however deep the light penetrates the surface of the water, they think that they all have some kind of feature, whether it be light up light up ink or they're they glow in the dark or they have a little bulb that attracts fish that's used for all sorts of different kinds of stuff and it's all just chemical chemically made light it's pretty awesome right it is the world's very interesting uh so the next article that we have oh yeah what life hacker uh tim Tonnelly on 721 so <laughs> he asks the very important question, how much do planes actually get cleaned? And dude, I just got done watching the movie Contagion. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. Uh, it was pretty good. It's essentially, it's a, it's a viral virus that spreads around the planet at a very rapid rate and essentially... Is it, is it a viral virus? It is a viral virus. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I mean, this thing, it, it's pretty nasty when you think about planes and germs, but like how much time do they actually get between flights to clean and what are they able to clean? What do they focus on? I hope they focus on the bathroom, which according to the article, they do. But what else? Like headrests, armrests, your seats? Yeah. 
the I to me, I mean, yeah, the bathroom is going going to be one of the more disgusting places on the airplane. But if they're not focusing on other areas, then I think it it, it switches pretty quickly. Like the the seat itself and the armrests, and then the, uh-huh. the little tray table. Uh, so many people touching that all day long. Even you know, you have to really think about the little knob that you touch to pull up and down your window. Yeah, um, even the people, overhead bins. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere where people touch, like, so handles are a big one, doorknobs. That's why they do those studies on, like, shopping carts and stuff. And they'll find that the actual handles are have, like, fecal matter and uh, ridiculous what? amounts of what? bacteria. Dude, they did a, they did a study, uh, I think it was, like, Walmart or Target, like, so some main uh, retail store. And they were doing swabs of the uh, grocery, the, uh, the cart, the handle, the handle yeah. on the shopping carts. And they were finding disgusting disgusting stuff and so that's why it's anywhere people regularly put their hands doorknobs handles that you really need to watch out for um i think it's very important to travel with like a three ounce so you're still within airport restrictions a three ounce bottle of hand sanitizer when i was traveling for work around the country almost weekly bi-weekly i had it with me and i would i would use it all the time do you remember the show monk um uh, I remember hearing about it. I don't know. I've never watched it. Oh, it's the actor Tony Shalhoub, but he's like this detective, this, you know, germaphobe. And it was on probably in the late 90s, early 2000s. But he had a crippling fear of germs and had to have everything cleaned. Otherwise, he would like have a panic attack. And I when I learn about something like how often a plane gets cleaned, I feel like I'm turning into Tony Shalhoub from monk every day. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, you're, you're dealing with, you're coming in contact with these, this bacteria and, and viruses that are giving off by other people that are provided by other people like all the time. And so, it, you know, I think there's a pretty hard evidence that the more you're around these, you actually build up some immunities to them. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely important to have exposure to germs in, you know, safety. But, like, dirt is good exposure. Other people's right. germs, maybe a little less. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 that comes back to your lifestyle, too. Um, you know, if you're going to be traveling around on a plane and you're smoking cigarettes and substituting it with nasty trans fat filled foods like fast food or something, you're probably going to have a harder time and you're going to be more susceptible to uh, these viruses and this bacteria, but if you're taking care of yourself and you're healthy and you're and you're active, and then you're also going to be around these diseases, well, probably have a little less to bacteria, worry. Less to worry. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're not going to get sick. But I never, for all the traveling I did, um, I never got sick that often. No, no. So our last article, maybe, maybe our last, comes to us from the Washington Post's. Hannah Sampson, uh, and this was actually in August, but we thought it would be important to talk about, and it's all about global entry and why, if you have an application in, it has been delayed. Yeah, so right now, um, there are resources have been pulled from employees who normally deal with the global entry process to the border, and so... A lot of these employees were dealing with uh, the requirements through the application process. So background checks and fingerprint scanning and in-person interviews 
And so essentially what's going on is due to what we have going on at the border, um, there are less people handling the application process. So if you're one of those people that is currently trying to apply for global entry, you may be waiting a lot longer than normal. I mean, I, we, we shouldn't claim to know how long you're going to be waiting. Maybe this will clear up soon, but it's just a thought. Uh, it now might not be the time to do it. Um, yeah. yeah it, and, and, and we should note that pre-check is different than global entry. So global entry is $100, and it essentially gets you through um, – through security, I think on your way back. I don't. I don't have it, but yeah. But pre-check, it, it includes pre-check. It, it does. It includes pre-check. Pre-check is eighty five dollars, and that just gets you through the security lines quicker. Uh, it's a it's a much quicker process, and it's but it, it, it's a for boarding, not for re-entry into the country. So they're different, um, but it's that is unaffected, I guess, by yeah. what's going so- on. I would I would classify it as TSA pre-check is good if you're just traveling within the states. Global entry is good if you're traveling internationally and going to and from countries often, maybe a few times a year. Yeah, and so so according to this article, it says um, it could take up to 100 days for global entry applications to be processed through the CBP. Um, and so it says so that this week, which I guess was last week, that between 65 and 70% of the applicants uh, of the applications and renewals are being processed in 15 or fewer days. Okay. So that's still pretty good, right? And about 25% of the applications have a processing time of more than 90 days. Yeah. Um, so if you've got any upcoming trips in the next, you know, two weeks and you haven't received your global entry pass yet, you probably smart. won't get it. And it's saying that it should be, the, the resources might be limited through September 30th. So, yeah, it's good to note that. And, and the article actually provides a tip. Um, one great alternative to, to any paid expedited screening is the free mobile passport app. Elliot, I'm not familiar with this. Are you? No, I haven't heard of it. So it says it works at 26 major airports and that all users have to do is pull up the app when they arrive at the uh, participating airport, input the usual answers to a few customs questions, and sn- and snap a selfie and submit the form. So... Huh. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's something that's good to know. I, because I've been stuck in lines re-entering the United States, and it, uh, it's a pain. It's yeah, a total sometimes pain. it can. It, it's all timing of when your flight comes in. It could come in with other flights, but it can take a, it can take a while sometimes. And anytime you get expedite that and get out of the airport and back home, um, it helps. It does help. Mm-hmm. So. We have, there are a few other articles that we'll just briefly mention, but we won't go into a whole lot of detail. Um, So I don't know if you guys or anyone listening has traveled to Uzbekistan, but Uzbekistan has one of the most gorgeous subways that I've ever seen, even through pictures. It, it rivals a lot of Moscow's subway stations, but it was previously illegal to photograph it until last year, and that's because it was used as a bomb shelter. But now that it is, I, I don't know if it's not used as a bomb shelter anymore or why it is legal, but it's just gorgeous. You should check it out. The link is will be posted. It's called the Tashkent Uzbekistan Subway Station. Yeah, it's beautiful. It has it's filled with 
symmetrical geometric patterns and it's all it's built with marble and glass and granite and ceramics and it just provides you with this um i don't know it, it illusion it's it's really cool i don't know i'm not I, I really don't know how to describe it but check out some of the images online we'll link the article lots of good art lots of good yeah. art yeah really and then bob you shared this with me right before we got on but this is kind of a big deal too because i think new york and all of california just recently banned plastic straws but what did what did the san francisco airport just do so they are banning plastic water bottles within the airport which that's huge i, I mean i don't know banning or that. or that you just can't buy them I'm sorry, you cannot buy, you will not be able to buy a plastic water bottle at the San Francisco airport. But if you're not, if you can't get in, you can't go through security with a plastic water bottle either. So it's going unless to it's empty. drop those numbers. Yeah, unless it's empty. It, it should drop those numbers significantly. Um, so it's part of the San Francisco airport's zero waste effort to divert 90% of landfill waste by 2021 through composting, recycling, and encouraging travelers to bring reusable products. Um, they're going to install additional hydration stations and yeah, they're going to push this sustainability in travel, which, you know, when you think about it, these, this is just one small step. It's one, one airport within a number of airports within our country, but how many people pass through San Francisco who could no longer buy a plastic bottle? And again, just because it's one small step, you pair this with the other small step that we have going on in Hawaii, where they're working on electric airplanes. Eventually, you combine all of these small steps and you have a large uh, movement. uh, Yeah, yeah. And so as we're getting there, um, people are more environmentally conscious than we've ever seen before. And it's really promising. It makes me very hopeful for the future. Yeah. yeah. So, did you also see? We're gonna go on. We're gonna go on a whim here. We actually didn't did not research this article in advance. But Elliot, did, are you aware of the plastic bag ban throughout the world? Throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So, um, let me see. I'm gonna try to find we're it. Doing right it live. Now. Yeah. So it's primarily South America. So. Here we go. Here's This is from the World Resources Institute. 127 countries now regulate plastic bags. And that's awesome. Them, yeah, a lot of them are in South America and Africa. And they're banning plastic bags completely. And it's a really cool idea. And I know I was reading up on it a little bit. A good alternative, actually, are hemp bags. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so plastic bags and the usage is still something that I'm dealing with. So the first total ban on plastic bags. So here we go. Here's a list of the, of the plastic bag ban. So Kenya was in 2017 was lauded for imposing the world's harshest plastic bag ban in the world. And now you have countries like, uh, Rwanda is considered Africa's cleanest nation and was one of the first nations on the African continent to, to impose the plastic ban. Whoa. Plastic? plastic completely. Whoa. So here you go. Which countries have banned plastic bags? So most recently is Belize in 2019, but you have everything from Albania, uh, multiple countries within the Caribbean, Bangladesh, Bhutan, Botswana, uh, Cambodia, Cameroon, China, Denmark, 
Um, yeah, there's there's a total list of 59 countries that have banned plastic bags. It's impressive. That's so weird. Yeah. And yet, yeah. And yet there's only two states that have completely banned plastic <laughs> bags in the U.S., yeah, well, that's a whole other discussion, isn't it? And then, I mean, there are like 12 to 15 states that have partial bans, but this may or may not surprise you, Florida and Arizona has have actually passed laws preventing local municipalities from passing their own bans. Oh. So they're Is actually that, regressing. Florida and Arizona. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. This is, <laughs> I saw, I don't know if it was a meme or what, but um, it said something like America is the rest of the world's Florida. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's yeah. not good. That's not good no. to be called that. <laughs> Sorry, I, You Florida. know what surprises me? Yeah, you know what surprises me about this list of plastic bag ban- bans though? Um, is that China's on the list. And it says that they banned them in 2008. And now I know they're they are a huge contributor of ocean plastic pollution. So that's something that I would eventually, I, I'm probably going to look into. I find that surprising. I didn't realize China would be so progressive with banning plastic products. And it says they did it in 2008. So that was over 10 years ago that they banned plastic bags, according to this website. Wow. That's actually pretty impressive. I, I was a little skeptical at first, you know, because sometimes China says they do things mm-hmm. on the outside, but, you know, don't really change anything on the inside. Yeah, well, they have a history of not really releasing any information either on their country or practices. And Yeah. Well, that wraps up our first Travel Bites. Bob, do you want to get into the guests that we have lined up for the month of August? Yeah, sure. So... For the remainder of the month, we obviously have three more episodes. Uh, next Sunday, we have Zarab of Unleash Your Potential. This is a guy who is he's young. He traveled as a um, personal trainer on a cruise ship, saw 70 countries in two years, and now is focusing his attention on a program that focuses on food, travel, fitness, and mindfulness. This conversation was really about, I mean, really those four things and how they all sort of relate to one another and how we can improve on them um what next we had kelly of design your detour and on that in that conversation we focused on vacation and travel and realizing you know what what our goals are where we find our ambition to better our own future uh, whether that's through travel or not and lastly we have uh samuel and daniela who are known as Ordinary Jones on Instagram. And we we just really came across their page on Instagram. Elliot and I are big fans of archaeological sites throughout the world. And they created a platform where they focus on these sites, specifically in Italy. And they like to uncover some of the mysteries surrounding these sites, some of the fables and, and uh, you know, tales of what these entail. And they provide they provide good good information um so you know i think we're gonna end up talking about rome and pompeii and things like that so really really looking forward to that one um and hope you are too so so stay tuned for the remainder of the month and we will be doing the same exact thing bringing you up-to-date news starting uh next month so talk to you then 